Well, good morning, Harvest. Good morning, an hour early and uh, way to sing even with an hour less of sleep. Well, let's continue our worship as we dive into God's Word today. Um, I actually kind of want to begin our time here with a bit of a humorous story. Uh, it, it's one of those I have a friend stories. Um, I have a pastor friend who uh, I actually know quite well who uh, earlier this week, he came into his office on Monday and he uses that time to kind of look ahead to the week and plan for the week. And when he looked at his uh, sermon schedule, he realized that he had duplicated a text two times for uh, the same text two times in a row. And normally that wouldn't be a problem for this friend of mine, but uh, being that Easter is coming up and the way things are falling into place, he didn't have that freedom to be able to do that. So uh, this friend of mine uh, went into a bit of a panic for a little bit. And then uh, after the panic, he kind of laughed at himself. And then uh, after laughing at himself, he uh, was reminded some things that he's taught. And one of those things is that uh, God is sovereign, even in the details of things. And so for some reason, a sovereign God allowed for uh, my friend to duplicate a text a couple weeks in a row. So he thought about it, Lord, what was your purpose for this? And he didn't want to go and just kind of pull some random text or a hobby horse text or kind of get off of where we're going, I mean, where his church is going with uh, with the text. So I, I mean, he um, prayed, uh, Lord, what would you want? And then he talked to his wife and uh, and then he slept on it and, and he kept coming back to the week before the week before where there was the look of Christ, uh, his church happened to be studying in Mark 14 and a uh, look of Christ uh, on to Peter after Peter's third denial and talked about how Peter broke down and wept and um, just, uh, it just wasn't leaving my mind, that text of that look. And so, uh, here's what we're going to do, um, this friend is going to do today. Um, he's going to ask you to turn to John 21, and we're going to use this Sunday to kind of continue the redemption reconciliation story with Peter, because a Mark actually does not get to that story in the Gospel of Mark. So last Sunday... Last Sunday, we talked about how Jesus was led to a sham trial and how um, on that sunny sun, or, uh, snowy Sunday, um, how at the sham trial in Mark 14, there were sham witnesses and sham testimonies, and it all led to a sham conviction of uh, Christ's death. And uh, so in that whole sham setting, we talked about how there was a scared Peter there. And this scared Peter was in the shadow of the sham trial that was going on. And uh, it was just a few hours earlier that Peter, while scared at this moment, a few hours earlier, he was boldly standing, sitting, talking to the Lord, saying, uh, uh, I would never deny you. I, I would never do that. I would rather die than deny you. And uh, yet we found him all of a sudden on this day, bless his heart, three times he denied Christ. Uh, last Sunday, during that time, I had us, which I usually don't do, but I had us take a jump over into Luke 22. And Luke 22 uh, contains a statement in there 
after the third denial. Peter denies, and then Luke 22 says the rooster crows. And what the things that Luke notes is that Jesus looked at Peter. Uh, this was all taking place at Annas Caiaphas's palace, just a ways, ways away from the temple in Jerusalem. And so they were there in this whole thing. And, and yet it talks about how verse 61, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And that was the moment that Peter remember what the Lord had said, that he would deny him three times. And that's then when Peter broke down and wept in all of that. And we talked about that look, Jesus to Peter. Put on the table. What was that look like? What was it? Was it a, I told you so look? Was it a, Peter, you are so disappointing. You are just a loser. You can't get anything right, can you? Was it that kind of a look? Or was it a look from Christ to, to Peter that, Peter, I'm just done with you? Or here's another one we talked about. What was it the look where uh, the Lord was basically saying, Peter, go get yourself straightened out. And after you get yourself straightened out, then come back to me and maybe we'll talk. Was that the look? I suggested that was not the look at all. In fact, instead, it was a look of absolute unfathomable grace from Christ to Peter. It was an unsurprised, unstunned, unset of course Jesus with a strong look from the shepherd to a herding lamb. Basically saying, Peter, I've got you covered. It's going to be all right. Man, what a look. An unfathomable look of grace from the eyes of the shepherd of his soul. I made mention, Judas looked into Jesus' eyes, and Judas saw personal opportunity gain. Caiaphas looked into Jesus' eyes, and he saw a personal threat that Jesus was going to stop him from doing the things that he wanted to do. We referred back to Caiaphas' crony guests at the sham trial. They basically looked in Jesus' eyes and saw a fool. But Peter, on that night, after denying him three times, looked into Christ's eyes and saw, one, his own unfathomable sin, but also, even in light of his unfathomable sin that he would do, he saw Jesus' unfathomable grace. Have you experienced that? I mean, have you experienced, uh, I'm going to call it today, that salvation, but as well as that staying current look of unfathomable grace from Christ? in light of your unfathomable sin reality. But we left Peter broken. And by the way, that's exactly where Peter needed to be. Peter had just before, as I mentioned, had been bold and strong, I'll say in himself, in his own thinking. I would never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. But actually, Peter needed to be brought low. Oh, and boy, he was. But in the story, and Mark, we're kind of left wondering, what's the rest of the restoration story going on? So on this uh, uh, extra Sunday, uh, we're going to take it full circle. So John 21, let me set the context of John 21. Uh, Chapter 18 of John, that's the same essential text 
story that's going on in Mark 14. The sham trial and Peter's denials are taking place in John 18. Then John 19, Jesus is crucified. Then in John 20, Jesus rises from the dead. We're going to be covering that here in a few weeks on Easter. Uh, John says that he appears to Mary Magdalene. By the way, we're going to see in Mark that uh, Mark says that not only appears to Mary Magdalene, but he appears to uh, another Mary, not Mary, the, the, his, Jesus' his mom, but another Mary in Salome. And then uh, he appears to 10 disciples. And there's a, one other disciples yet to appear to. John 20 tells us of him then uh, having a conversation with Thomas. So Jesus has appeared to all. All of the uh, disciples, other than uh, uh, Judas, obviously that situation's been gone. Uh, John 21, let's pick up there. We are post the resurrection, okay? With me on that? We're post the resurrection. We're kind of jumping to this place um, for us just to see this full circle uh, situation on this extra Sunday. John 21, let me start in verse 1. After this, after him appearing to the people, uh, after his resurrection, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And Simon Peter was there, and Thomas, called the twin, and Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the, the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples. It doesn't even name them. Uh, that's the two I want to be. The two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, hey, guys, uh, I want to go fishing. I'm going to go fishing. And they said to him, hey, we'll go with you. And they went out. They got into a boat. And that night, uh, they caught what? Nothing. Zippo zero. Uh, So the disciples have left Jerusalem. They're they're back up north in home territory uh, in this area of region of Galilee. They're not all together. We see seven here on the table. We see Peter, we see Thomas, we see James and John, and then two others who are there as well. The text tells us it's at the Sea of Tiberias. Where is that? Well, that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. So they are up in their home territory. They're back up north. They're there. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has not ascended yet uh, to the Father, but uh, they're up north. Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other six say, hey, we'll go fishing too because we really don't know what to do with ourselves right now. So they get into a boat. They head out. And what time of the day is it? It's night. It's nighttime. Why nighttime? I mean, seriously, you read, who cares if it's day or if it's night? Well, John does. And John puts it there, and, and I think here's the reason for it. The, the best time for fishing in that area was at night. And by the way, some of these guys were professional fishermen, and so they knew when to go fishing. And so they went fishing during the best time for fishing. Don't lose that thought. That's why John puts this in. They go at the very premium best time to catch fish they're going out to catch fish and so they're out fishing that night and the fishing is really bad how many fish did they catch okay everybody put up the universal symbol for zero it's zero that's how many fish that they caught that night oh by the way during the best time of fishing Uh, by the way i'm going to tell you here in a minute uh i think that was a miracle I mean, come on. They're not throwing lures. There's not seven guys out there with a rod just throwing it out one at a time. They're using nets. They're most likely using multiple nets. I mean, you've watched the fishing shows. (laughs) 
I mean, so they're probably on the back throwing a net, on the side throwing a net, on other side throwing a net. And come on, you're throwing nets at the best time of fishing, and you don't even catch like one fish? Not even two fish or three fishes? I don't know if that's a plural for fishes. But, but, but that's the deal. I mean, you fishermen, you know this. Like, what's the deal with a net? Not one blasted fish. It's like everywhere their boat, the fish were made to go, right? Because there were fish in the Sea of Galilee, as we're going to see here in just a minute. So verse 4, just as day was breaking, they've been fishing a long time. We don't know when they went out. It could have been 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 10 p.m. But day is now breaking, so they've been out for a while. And Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus, okay? You have some inside information here. And Jesus said to them, children, by the way, it's not like kiddies type of a thing. Guys, uh, do you have any fish? And they answered him, what? No, and he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast their nets. Let's stop there. So from their perspective, some guy on the shore shouts out, caught any fish? By the way, we're going to find out here in just a moment that the text tells us that the boat was about 100 yards off of the shore. So morning is coming. You couldn't see who this was, and yet there's a little bit of light peering over the, the horizon with it. And this guy shouts out, caught any fish? And they answer, no. So this guy says, throw it on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. How did he know? Uh, now, one possibility, because uh, it's, it's a fishing area, one legitimate possibility could have been that they heard this guy shouting and maybe they're thinking, hey, he just saw something on the right side of our boat. Okay, so that's a legitimate possibility. And he's like, hey, the right side. Or this is somebody who's been keeping the fishies all the way. And all of a sudden, he's like, watch this one. And they're all like, oh, wham. He's like, right side, boys, right side. So they throw the net out, keep going in the text. And now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish was so big. Uh, That disciple whom Jesus loved, talking about John, therefore said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. In other words, they, they have a covering and then they have like shorts on. And so it takes it off. Hey, it's just guys in the boat fishing. And he puts it back on, threw himself into the sea. I love that terminology. He threw himself. It's like, <laughs> wham. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat. Like, thanks, Peter. Uh, that's Peter. There he are dragging a net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So some guy shouts, catch any fish? No. Try the right side. Wham. They hit the jackpot. And by the way, in it, all of a sudden in it, one of the guys, John in the boat, while this is happening, is like, this is freaky. By the way, I love quick to insight people. I'm not one. 
I love quick to insight people who it's like the situation that's going on. It's like, wait, 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 this is not normal because we've had Zippo all night. And all of a sudden, like what just happened? And, and we get this John process and he's like, wait a second. He connects the dots. Peter, that was the Lord. And what does Peter do? Peter jumps into the water swimming back. Way to go, dude. By the way, I love quick to action people. And by the way, quick to action people need quick to insight people. And quick to insight people need quick to action people. Okay? And so I love this team thing that's going on here. But, but, but Peter here is hightailing it after Christ. Wait a second. Pause. Because last Sunday we left the situation where Peter was broken down after denying Christ three times and weeping. And now we see Peter like swimming after the Lord. Something's happened from that time to this time. Something's taken place. Well, well, a couple things, actually. One is, is uh, Peter has seen the risen Christ. That makes a difference. Peter has seen that. But also, I want to note this. Look in the passage over in chapter 20, verse 19. Every time John tells of Jesus showing up after the resurrection, the first thing that Jesus says is, peace be with you. Look at verse 19. Peace be with you. Then verse 21 in chapter 20, peace be with you. Then in verse 26 in chapter 20, peace be with you. Why would he say that? I think two reasons. One, because when they saw him, they're still scared to death. We saw you dead. Peace be with you. (laughs) Calm your beating heart. But also, here's the reality. Christ, in the theological reality of things, had just had just conquered the sin and having no peace with God situation. And Christ brings peace with the Godhead. Peace be with you in this. And Peter is not running away. He's not hiding from. He's not like going down in the boat embarrassed. He's swimming after Jesus. He's moving to Jesus. And I think, can we just agree that something really important has been taking place in the Peter-Jesus relationship that we see, right? Can we see that? Uh, There's been some kind of restoration, but I'm going to put on the table, there has not been full circle restoration yet. And that's where we're going. Let's pick up verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Picturing this? Fish were laid out on it and bread. And the resurrected, risen, magnified Jesus, essentially, said to them, Hey guys, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon, Simon Peter, a quick to action guy, he goes aboard Hauls the net ashore, full of large fish. How many fish? And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them and said, and and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, here Jesus is, uh, note, 
glorified, magnified, resurrected body. And by the way, he's not like a see-through ghost. Casper has not come back. This is the resurrected body of Christ. And by the way, I just keep that in mind as we, uh, after Easter, go to Revelation. I'm just going to leave it at that. End of verse 12. I just want to note the guys are, ask, are not asking who he is. They knew it was the Lord. Why does John put that in there? I'm going I'm to say, I, I think this is why this is included in here. It, it contains the idea that the disciples are still grappling with the whole reality of what's taking place. They're still grappling with the idea that they've seen him die and now he's alive. By the way, the disciples are not some redneck hicks that have been duped and played. And they're just trying to make some concocted story up. Statements like that tell us that these disciples are literally sitting there and going, wait a second here. This is like blowing my mind and I'm trying to grab a hold of what this is really all about. These are thinkers. They're processing it. They're not goofball, dorky country rednecks trying to make a buck off of a built up story. They're processing it through with cognitive, intelligent thought. And I just ask this, have have you given deep, cognitive, intelligent thought to the reality of Christ? I'm not just saying uh, spiritual fluffy thought. Oh, so out on that. Intellectual, cognitive Truth thought, wrestling the issues through, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is not who he said he is, then I'm out. But if Jesus is who he said that he is and did what he did, then that changes, by the way, who I am. And who he is and who I am matters in the whole picture. Everything has a turning point on how you answer the question of who Jesus is. And so Jesus feeds them. Cool, the guy's been fishing all night, so they grab a buffet breakfast prepared by Jesus. Man, I want in on that. I'll bet those eggs were perfect. By the way, how many fish did they caught? Catch? 153. Who cares? Fishermen care. And especially when you've had like a bumper crop fisher time. Hunters, you know that as well. You could go back and remember the times when you like uh, tilted the weight scale with what you caught. You would remember how long the fish was, how much it weighed, how many you caught. True? And so here he puts in 153 Why? Why 153? Because it went from 0 to 153, and that's a miracle. By the way, in fact, I've alluded to, I actually think there's three miracles in this whole thing. Number one, the fact that they didn't catch any fish at all. I mean, come on, with nets and not even one? I mean, either they're really bad, bad, (laughs) but they're professional fishermen in the boat. Miracle. The other is that they caught 153 fish. Bumper crop. But the third is, by the way, did you note in the text? It says 153 and the net was not even broken. Listen, friends, I'm telling you, God is in the details of life. 
And even miracle, the net's not broken. I think it normally should have been broken. But God was in the net. By the way, brief side, you might call it rabbit trail, on the 153 fish thing. I'm bringing this up because of our coming time in Revelation. Let me make a few comments on this, on where uh, bad Bible interpretation goes. Okay? 153 fish. Jerome, in three to, who lived in 3, 400 A.D., he said that 153 fish from the text here ties to Ezekiel 47, talking of life and, and living water will flow from the temple. And he suggests that there were 153 species of fish and, and 153 fish represented 153 species of fish. And there were, at the time, were 153 nationalities. So, quote, the 153 fish in John 21 point to the church catching all nationalities without distinction to Jesus. Whoa. Okay, and by the way, that's really helpful to know. (laughs) Then here's what some others say. 153 is the sum number for the Hebrew letters that spell the church of love or the children of God. In other words, each letter has a number, and if you add it all up, those two statements on their own add up to 153, so that should give us grand hope. That's what the fish were about. What? Here's another Um, Some say that the triangular number of 153 being 17, in other words, go to Google, you'll find the triangular number. It's 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 all the way up to 17 adds up to 153. And 17, Augustine said that, man, the triangular number of 153, which is 17, refers to the Ten Commandments and the Sevenfold Spirit of God from Revelation 1-4. Yeah, that's it, man. And then some others have said 17 is the 10 commandments plus three in the Trinity plus four, the new Jerusalem. I'm not even going to get into that. Then others have said, no, no, no. It's, it's the feeding of the 5,000 had five loaves and 12 baskets. Forget the two fish. Uh, that's 17. Friends, I'm just going to say there's absolutely no evidence in John's writing here. By the way, who wrote the book of Revelation? John. In John's writing here, that these fish represent anything else other than they caught 153 fish from 0 to 103. 0 plus 153 equals miracle. That's what the text is saying. And sometimes people have this idea that there's like a hidden meaning behind every corner of the Bible. Oh, let's stop it. Let's just read it grammatically, historically, literally, as it is. By the way, that's what we're going to be doing in Revelation. When we see the things that Revelation says that are there, we're going to hit those things. But the other things that are mysteries, Deuteronomy 29.29 it. Uh, Those are the hidden things that belong to the Lord, and let's be good with it. Remembering this, 2 Peter chapter 1. God has provided us with everything we need to know for life and godliness in his word. That means that God wrote his word to be understood. And it contains everything we need to know, not necessarily everything we want to know. Okay? Back to the story. Verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. By the way, if you've uh, studied this passage, know this passage, since I just said about the 153, I'm going to make this quick statement. The whole agape, love, phileo terminology, John uses them interchangeably throughout the entire gospel. Don't get weird with the words. Okay? Back in it. Feed my lambs. Same thing, lamb, sheep. Don't get weird with it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good. Verse 16 He said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. (laughs) And the roof will cause us to hold for a moment. Let's hold right there. Verse 15. Can I note this? Jesus starts the conversation. Jesus initiates the conversation. Friends, hear me. This is really important. That means that this conversation that is taking place is really important to Jesus. The resurrected, risen Jesus. This is an important conversation to Jesus. But, but just like Jesus so often does, he starts with the question, Peter, do you love me? And, and the, he asks the question three times. Peter responds three times. And, and Jesus' three-peat question here is kind of an awkward question. I mean, it's potentially even offensive. Do you love me? Well, why, why would you ask that? That's a bit awkward, isn't it? That's kind of a bit forthright. It almost comes across like, if I came up and asked you that, would you not be going, dude, what is your problem? Hey, do you love me? (laughs) Isn't that awkward? And it is, and he does it three times. And in fact, verse 17 even notes that Peter's awkward about it. I think I may have missed that. Uh, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And here's the reality. Generally, we do not like restoration conversations like this. Generally, We do not like these kinds of full circle restoration conversations, but they are necessary. They are necessary. They do matter. And if Jesus was going to initiate the conversation post-resurrection in the short amount of time that he took here, it means it's really, really important to him And full circle restoration between Peter and Jesus, I don't think had taken place yet in Jesus' eyes. And so Jesus brings it all to the table. And I think here what's going on is there's this, what we normally have is this presumed assumption that things are good. But Jesus wants clarity. And Jesus takes this moment to address the elephant in the room. 
Friends, full circle restoration with Jesus matters. It matters to Jesus. Jesus did not go to the cross and rise from the dead for partial restoration. And partial restoration is not full restoration. It's not. If it matters to Christ, it needs to matter to us. So here they are, it's morning, it's around the fire. There they are, the, the revealed, resurrected Savior. And he initiates this, I'm calling it, full circle restoration conversation with Peter. And three times, three times Peter denied, three times Jesus needs to bring this up. And this is one more eye-to-eye conversation going on. Eye-to-eye face-to-face, voice-to-voice, and it's this unfathomable grace look and restoration conversation. And friends, oh my, how our Lord loves those conversations. He loves those conversations. He wants those conversations because it's in those conversations that we come to the right place where we should be before him, looking to into his eyes, understanding the fullness of our sinfulness, even if you're saved in Christ. And being able to have that full circle, bring it all around. Full circle restoration is not Partial circle assumption. And we generally stay in partial circle assumption restoration. Both with others and with the Lord. What do I mean by that? I'm going to kind of break this into three things. Number one. Full circle restoration has the conversation. Full circle restoration. It has The conversation. What am I talking about? Two things. Number one, it begins with the restoration salvation conversation. There is a salvation conversation with the Lord. Salvation in Christ is not founded upon what you or I think. Salvation is founded upon what the Lord knows. And a person can be thinking, I believe, just, I believe that Jesus died for sins and I believe that I'm a sinner. He died for sins, I'm a sinner, therefore we're good, right? Here's another, I believe me and Jesus are good and since I believe me and Jesus are good, we're good with salvation. Here's another, I prayed a prayer about that and I'm comfortable with that, so that's that. But friends, may I remind us of Mark chapter 4 when Jesus told about the four soils and soils 2 and 3, they made steps of even receiving the word and yet they bagged out. I'm not saying lose salvation. I'm saying they were never really saved. There, there, there was this movement, there was this kind of action, but, but then as soon as it got hard, as soon as the stuff of the world became there, it's like, I want you as my kabuki Jesus, but I don't want you as my Lord Jesus. Also, I'll add to that, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, not just a few, by the way, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and yet Jesus will say, I never knew you. 
Friends, that ought to cause you to stand still in your shoes and ask the question, what's the reality with me and Jesus? Not what I think, but what he thinks is important. And I'm just going to be as loving and bold as I can here and say this. It doesn't matter what you believe about it. What matters is what Jesus knows about it. When we're talking about salvation. The important thing is what Jesus knows to be true. Have you had the come to Christ salvation restoration conversation? Have you? I'm going to use the illustration, Revelation 3.10. It says, uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, Jesus says, I will go in. It's the illustration. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. Okay? And he's knocking at the door. And it's like, uh, here, restoration in Christ is not opening the door and keeping him on the porch. And then having a periodic conversation every so often. And Jesus is like, what? This is not what I'm talking about here. This is not full circle restoration. Don't talk to me through the screen door. No, no, no. What's supposed to happen is go over, grab the door, open it, ask him to Enter for the purpose of residing with you and for rebuilding you in Christ. That kind of conversation. Not a partial circle assumption Jesus is on the porch conversation. Seriously, because this is an eternal issue. Have you had that conversation? Not only is there a salvation conversation for full circle restoration, but I would say actually the context of the text here is a staying current conversation. Uh, uh, Jesus is eye to eye with Peter here. And I think Peter is in Christ. And here he is having this conversation with him. And oftentimes people who have been redeemed in Christ are thinking, well, I've been forgiven for my sins past, present, and future. True, absolutely true. But there are also passages like 1 John 1, 9, talking about if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There's also the whole story of David, Psalm 32, this whole staying current with Christ. And I just asked this question, when was the last time follower of Christ, when you had an, if you will, an eye-to-eye conversation with Jesus? As a child of his, And confessing your sin. Or are we just living in an assumption? It's true. All sins are taken care of. We're not talking about earning salvation. But we are talking about staying in relationship. Where everything is in conversation. When was the last time you've had a 1 John 1, 9, Psalm 32 kind of a time? Full circle restoration has the conversation that includes a salvation conversation that includes a staying current conversation. Uh, Let me read verse 
verse 18 through 22 here. And I'll bring up the next two items. Verse 18, right before that, Jesus said to him, Peter, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, Jesus is still talking. Truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry where you want to go. What in the world is he talking about? Hey, how cool is this? Verse 19, scripture interprets scripture. This, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, John, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and, uh, and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And Jesus said to Peter, look at this, this is awesome. Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter, look me in the eyes. You follow me. By the way, the you there in the Greek is emphatic. Peter, you must follow me. All right, a couple things here. Second thing I would say, full circle restoration conversations, they see the cost. They have the conversation and they see the cost. Verse 18, stretch out your hand. That terminology in that day was referring to crucifixion. What Jesus is saying here, feed my sheep, Peter. By the way, you are going to die crucified. Oh, that makes me happy. Look forward to that. Uh, By the way, verse 19, to glorify God. By the way, do you understand, are you thinking that your death is an opportunity to glorify God? Oh, by the way, by the time the book of John was written, Peter most likely had stretched out his hands, probably in Rome, under Nero, and died for Christ. Friends, the cost of being a disciple of Christ is high. There is a cost. It's not fuzzy bunny. Gospel prosperity. There's a high cost to it. And restoration conversations grow in that reality. When you have that eye to eye time with the Lord, you realize following the Lord costs. It's not easy. By the way, do you remember when Peter said, uh, if I must die with you, I will never deny you? How cool is this? Later in life, that happened. He failed back in Caiaphas' home. But later in life, he died. Not denying Christ. Man, that's hopeful. That's hopeful. That's restoration. And by the way, that brings up the final thing. Number three, full circle restoration conversations bear fruit. They have the conversation. They see the cost. And they bear fruit. It shows. The three times when Jesus said, after he said, do you love me? And had that conversation. And and then Jesus, each time he says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. There's an action with it. Get back. This is a restoring back into action. 
Not only in relationship. Relationship to action in it all. And verse 19, you follow me. Verse 22, you follow me. Hear me. Restoration conversations are followed by back and action bearing fruit reality. And just like Mark talks about in soil number two or three, if you had a moment with Jesus and there's been no fruit, you need to really be thinking about are you in Christ? You really need to be thinking about that. Number one, full circle restoration has the conversation. Number two, full circle restoration conversations see the cost. Number three, full circle restoration conversations bear fruit. By the way, earlier I noted that these kinds of conversations can be a bit awkward and uncomfortable. Just like Peter did in verses 20 to 22, Peter's trying to get out of the conversation quick. By the way, Jesus, what about him? And this is a moment right now where we could do that. But the text is talking to you, not the person next to you. The text is talking to me, not my spouse. So I'm going to talk with you. Verse 19 and 20. Jesus is like, Peter, or maybe put your name there. Doug, look me in the eyes. He, she, they, right now, are none of your business. You follow me. So while it's uncomfortable, I'm going to ask that we finish like this. Have you had the salvation conversation? Have you had the drive the stake in the ground, the settle the issue, the no bones about it, that you know that you know that you know, and you know that Jesus knows because you've had the conversation with clarity that you are a sinner He is holy and perfect, and he provides full grace, full restoration, and you want that. And you open the door, ask him in for the purpose of him residing in your life and rebuilding your life for his glory. Have you had that conversation with the Lord? Because if you haven't, I'm asking, today's the day. Settle the issue. The Lord loves these kinds of conversations. Oh, by the way, I'm also going to drive this. Those who are in Christ, when was the last time you had a staying current restoration conversation with the Lord about your sin? That verbal time of you and him looking into his eyes, knowing that forgiveness has been given, but taking it full circle with the eye of staying current with him and having the conversation with the Lord, not holding it like David did. Out on the table, honesty and clarity and worship 
and followed by steps of change. When was the last time, seriously, you've had that kind of conversation with the Lord person in Christ? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Nick and Jill if they'd come up here. And Nick and Jill are going to sing over us. And I'm just going to say, today's the day to have the conversation. And I'm just going to ask. I'm going to ask for you to have the conversation boldly with the Lord if that conversation needs to be had. And I'm going to ask that if it's the kind of thing to where it's like, man, it's been a long time since I've had a conversation with that like the Lord. I'm just going to ask that you would get out and you'd come up here and you would pray and you would kneel and pray. Well, Doug, that's kind of bold. Absolutely. Let's do it. By the way, this last week we had a conversation with our own small group about just, hey, let's advance and get more transparent. And let's grow. And let's see each other repent. And let's see each other rejoice more. And I'm just going to say it. I need to see it. In me. And I'm asking. In you. I'm not saying that if you do this you're more spiritual. But I am saying. Because you know I don't do this very often. It's time to show. If you haven't had the conversation with the Lord, it's time. We're just going to take some time. Nick and Jill are going to sing over. And you just come up and just kneel. Have the conversation. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, you need to come. And you need to do it now. It's time to have the conversation. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Hey, Harvest, when we uh, end the service, we always say you are loved. I hope as you leave this morning that you realize you leave loved by the Lord. No more partial assumptions. Full circle. Full restoration. Fully by the Lord. Unfathomable grace poured out. And those who will humble themselves. Harvest. You are loved. And let's leave knowing that. In Christ's name. Amen.